welcome to Uncontact. Today we discuss the new film, Gaza Fights for Freedom, with journalist Abby Martin and producer Mike Price. The malicious doctrine of this video just shows really just how far the length that the Israeli government will go to malign these people in their deaths. I mean, and we, we hear from other medics who have been gunned down also that say for the first six weeks they weren't targeted. So there was actually a direct targeting order, I think from higher up saying, okay, medics are open season now, just start killing them. In response to the Israeli government's 11-year land, sea, and air blockade of Gaza, Palestinians organized a massive and largely nonviolent movement called the Great March of Return in March of this year. Day after day, thousands of Palestinians protested at the security barriers separating Gaza from Israel. The Israeli government responded with brutal and lethal force, gunning down men, women, and children with live rounds. Some 200 Palestinians were killed and 10,000 injured, including 1,849 children, 424 women, 115 paramedics, and 115 journalists. An estimated 5,814 people were wounded with live ammunition, including exploding or butterfly bullets, which pulverized tissue, arteries, and bone, causing severe internal injuries and often amputation. Israel regularly fired canisters of a yellow-green gas into the crowds that led to severe convulsions and unconsciousness. The protest culminated on March 14th, the same day the U.S. Embassy was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. On that day alone, Israeli forces shot dead 60 Palestinians. During all of these protests, four soldiers were lightly injured by rocks. This daily butchery of unarmed protesters trapped behind a security barrier in the world's largest open-air prison is the subject of a new film by Abby Martin called Gaza Fights for Freedom, available on Vimeo. Joining me in the studio to discuss the film is Abby Martin and the film's producer, Mike Preisner. Great work. Gaza's dear to my heart. I spent uh, off and on for seven years, months of my life there covering it uh, for the Middle East. Um, so let's talk about the, it was a, an amazing moment, the, mm -hmm. the organization of the march, um, what it was meant to do, um, and, uh, and, and the Israeli response. So let's just begin the whole idea behind the march, Abby. Sure. So the march organizer, Ahmed Abu Artema, 34-year-old activist and poet, really kind of was the brainchild of, of this mass mobilization, as you mentioned, nonviolent. Um, and he wanted to basically call attention to their struggle as refugees, Chris, 70 years later, um, right. to the fact that they're still refugees, and basically stage a nonviolent action in this perimeter area, in this open, empty land, to pitch tents. These, let me just interrupt. Yeah. 70% of the people of Gaza are descended from refugees, exactly. number one. Number two, the Israelis have created a kind of no-man's land, a buffer zone, where uh, Palestinians are prohibited from entering. Exactly. And so the idea was to enter this buffer zone. Exactly. And it's a no-go zone. So this is a shoot to kill. You know, first they shot to kill uh, infiltrators, which they called now, of course, they're designated as terrorists because after Hamas took over, after they retreated. So Ahmed's whole vision was just to call, call attention to the international community, mount pressure from the international community to, to show that they're still refugees. And it was a completely peaceful action to pitch tents. Um, and that's what makes 
the Israeli Hasbro operation, this kind of slick. Hasbro, explain Hasbro. Yeah, so it's, it's basically a multi-million dollar propaganda apparatus on behalf of the Israeli government um, that corrects the record, that controls the narrative online, Chris. We have war rooms in Tel Aviv that are doing right. this every day. So their whole narrative that they're all human shields, that this is all staged by Hamas, is just falls flat on its face when you realize that this was actually originated from activists, poets, um, non-affiliated, you know, government organizations. I mean, people who had nothing to do with political parties there. Hamas has nothing to do with the march. It was basically all stripes of Palestinian society. And tens of thousands. Tens of yeah. thousands. And this is still going on every single Friday. Right. Um, let's talk, we'll talk about the Israeli yeah. propaganda, which I've been a victim of. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Gaza itself, mm -hmm. um, which I have not been there for a few years, and it was bad enough when I was there. Uh, but there are many ways in which the uh, Palestinians in Gaza are being kind of slowly exterminated. Um, let's talk about water. Sure. I mean, this is a crisis uh, that even the UN reports that by 2020, I mean, what is that, a couple months away, Chris? Uh, completely uninhabitable due to lack of water alone. We're well, already 98% of the fresh water in Gaza is toxic, considered toxic. Toxic. 25% uh, of all illnesses are directly caused by contaminated water. I mean, imagine that. Um, and that's just one crisis. I mean, lack of electricity, you can't pump water to the roofs. You right. can't store food. Well, and, and there's a lack of electricity because the Israelis have bombed the power station. Exactly, and the desalination and plants. And the desalination yeah, plants. They cannot well. rebuild these plants. Right, and they can't. I'll let you talk a little bit about the, the quote-unquote sanctions mm -hmm. that they have imposed, uh, which, uh, as Abby said, essentially makes they, the Israeli warplanes will destroy, or artillery, uh, will destroy vital infrastructure, but then uh, perhaps you can explain how they limit, how they put the Palestinians on a diet, what I'm quoting an Israeli general, but just to like, explain a little bit about, uh, and, and it's exactly, a, you know, going back to what the Germans did in World War II with ghettos so that people are reduced mm -hmm. to a subs the struggle for a subsistence level. That's right. I mean, honestly, it's quite similar to what the United States did to Iraq throughout the 90s, where they strategically bombed food right. production right. and water treatment, and then used sanctions to prevent the things that were needed to repair them or treat things, you know, from waterborne diseases, from unfiltered water and things like that, to cause a kind of mass punishment to the well, entire in population. Well, southern Iraq, how many children? Was it 200? Yeah, it was close to eight. Yeah, it was, it was quite more, I think. It was about half a million under the age of, uh, under the age of two, actually. Um, and so, you know, these are, this is designed for, for mass punishment of an entire right. population, which actually disproportionately affects babies and small children. Right. Um, so these things are calculated, right? And so I think what you're referring to, putting Gaza on a diet, means that, of course, you know, the Israel controls everything that comes in and out of Gaza. And so when they say, we're going to let so much tons of food in, they will calculate, well, how much do people need to not starve to death? And that's the minimum but that they'll let barely. in. barely. I yes, mean, the, exactly. they count the caloric in. They actually count it, right, which is a kind of sinister uh, kind of type of administration, you know what I mean, to actually put that much thought into how much can we actually deny people without them dying. One of the things you do in the film is talk about unemployment. I mean, r just run through what life, especially for young, uh, which are what uh, most Gazans, uh, over 50% are under the age of 18, talk a little bit about uh, what daily life is like, especially for the young. So I think that if you talk to most people in Gaza, especially youth, they would say that they don't see they don't see a future in their their in the immediate years com uh, coming. So like you know the unemployment rate is 
is quite staggering. The rate of poverty is quite staggering. The lack of opportunities. And so... Isn't it like 70% or something? Yeah, 70% for youth and 52%. It's actually the highest unemployment rate in the world, according to the World Bank. And so, um, but, you know, at the same time, you have an extremely high number of uh, youth in Gaza who are graduating college, going to graduate school. So they, they have hope for a future someday, but that that hope doesn't exist in the current moment. I think that's kind of the, a big part of the motivation for the Great March of Return being this mass nonviolent action. Is it's not an action out of desperation saying, we have no future, there's no hope, our lives are over. They're saying, we believe we can have a future if we fight for it and kind of win international support. And so I think that's what was driving. It wasn't desperation, but a great deal of optimism under the most adverse circumstances. Well, I thought, Abby, the film, I mean, it illustrated what I think many of us who've covered Gaza feel is this heroic, Mm -hmm. uh, aspect of the Palestinian people who just keep resisting anyway. And we have to be clear, and you do in the film uh, with very graphic and disturbing footage, show uh, how wanton uh, the murder of unarmed uh, protesters are by, uh, by the Israelis. Just explain, and we'll try and put a little footage up, but just explain what it looks like on the ground, because it's a shooting. There's no way the Palestinians can reach the soldiers, who right. most of whom are in armored uh, 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 vehicles or uh, uh, tower, bulletproof towers. Explain what it looked like. Right. I mean, you have a militarized perimeter fence, as you mentioned, and then you have basically mounds where snipers are hiding behind, where they have a wide view of the demonstrations. Um, one international war correspondent described the scene. They said they've covered wars in Syria, Yemen, Iraq. There was nothing like this, because there's just complete silence. I mean, people are dancing, celebrating, just standing there, Chris, holding a flag, and then every 10 minutes they'd, they'd have a sniper shoot them down and kill them. This, this um, these by, are head and torso this, shots. This, by the way, is what Sarajevo was like. Yeah. I covered Sarajevo. Mm -hmm. So you had uh, people walking on a street, and the Serbs had surrounded the city, and we were losing four to five dead a day from sniper fire, two dozen uh, dead a day often because we were being shelled. But it reminded me mm -hmm. very much of, uh, of Sarajevo. Um, uh, which I think for those of us who first got to Sarajevo was just we couldn't hardly believe our eyes. But the same thing is happening in Gaza. Right, right, exactly. And you mentioned the heroism, and this is really important too, because you know, looking through this footage, we looked through about a dozen hours of footage. We didn't see one militant, one weapon, anything right. that could be construed as a weapon. A rock is not a weapon. Let's get that straight. And the heroism. I mean, women were leading contingents of this march. You know, women, these voices that are just completely never amplified yeah. on the corporate media, and, and the heroism of people who go and, and do the symbolic action of touching the fence, putting a flag right. on the fence, right. throwing a rock as a rite of passage, and knowing that they could get gunned down mercilessly by an Israeli sniper for doing that action, Chris, that is courage. Right, right. It's being scared and knowing that you could die and still doing it. It's what cowards in this country have no concept of. Yeah. And, and that's what we tried to show as a, as a journalistic project, to kind of prove without a doubt that war crimes were committed. I mean, even if the, Israel likes to create the, the impression that uh, there's masses of Hamas militants trying to break through the barrier to then go commit a massacre in Israeli communities. Well, um, you know, if, if people did break through the fence, there's nothing much on the other side. There's a bunch of empty land and then a row of tanks somewhere. And so people unarmed going in, obviously they weren't going to do anything like that. But I think that what, what we proved without a doubt is that while Israel tries to create that narrative that they're just defending themselves of these marches, the vast majority of people who were killed, who were investigated by the UN Commission, you know, this isn't just us and, and victim testimony. The UN Commission found that the vast majority of people killed weren't anywhere near the fence. Yeah. They were doing things like well, smoking you, you a cigarette. You document that in the film. Yeah. They were often hundreds of feet away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the fact, which you do uh, quite a good job of 
explained in the film, the fact that they were targeting journalists mm -hmm. um, and paramedics who were clearly marked. Paramedics often in white coats approaching uh, somebody who was wounded with their hands up. Uh, and the journalists had very clearly marked uh, flak jackets with press. You talked about subsequent investigations, and I'm just going to quote from this UN report in March, uh, which found that, quote, Israeli soldiers committed violations of international human rights and humanitarian law. Some of those violations may constitute war crimes or crimes against humanity. And the report goes on to detail specific fatalities, um, including the, uh, these exploding bullets, yep. which you do a very good job of uh, portraying in the film, showing the bullets and the wounds, which are just catastrophic. Um, I mean, it's not just lethal force. It's the use of banned ammunition. This ammunition is illegal, uh, which is designed to cause maximum uh, injury and death. And amputations, of course. I mean, there's countless amputations of children, uh, a lot of paramedics, journalists as well, and they can't get medical help. You know, because anyone who participates in the march is automatically construed That's as a Hamas militant. That's important, because they can't get... Yeah. Because the medical facilities are uh, so uh, depleted, yep. and they can't get out. Mm -hmm. So you have very fine medical facilities inside Israel, but they can't get there. And one of the statistics you pull up is breast cancer, just yep. to explain how, again, the denial of healthcare facilities is taking a toll on Palestinians. What is it? What's the? Sure, 83 percent. And let's just look at these neighboring countries. If you're diagnosed with breast cancer in Israel, you have an 83 percent chance of surviving it. In Gaza, your chances can drop as low as 30 percent, Chris. And I think that really shows um, the reality of what people are dealing with. I mean, we we cut out some of this footage because it was too kind of gruesome. But I mean, people who said that there were worms crawling in their wounds, they couldn't even get dressings to dress their wounds. I mean, it, ligaments can be seen. That's what they're dealing with, with these open amputations that they cannot get treatment for. And that's just, that's writ large across Absolutely. the healthcare. They're basically denied adequate health care. Because of blockaded equipment and yeah. medical supplies. Yeah. Just pregnant as of. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about Gaza with Abby Martin and Mike Preisner. Welcome back to On Contact. We continue our conversation about Gaza with Abby Martin and Mike Preisner. So uh, in the film, you run a, a small segment which is filmed by Israeli soldiers, Israeli snipers, as they are gunning down. You see them gunning down uh, unarmed Palestinians as if it's a kind of video game. Or mm -hmm. uh, uh, Explain what that it, you know, what that moment is in the right. film. So I think a lot of films about Gaza and Palestine kind of show the both sides of the story, right? Convolutes the argument and tries to uh, show the Israeli propaganda machine a little bit too much. I mean, we, we showed both sides, Chris. We showed what the Israeli side is. I mean, this is, this is the roots of a violent settler colonial state that's committing an ongoing ethnic cleansing. And in order to do that, in order to be a society that's okay with that and to have 83% of Israelis approve of the open fire policy at the border, 95% approve of the bombing atrocities in 2014, you have to kind of be uh, inundated and indoctrinated with this kind of violent settler colonialism. And that's what these soldiers kind of demonstrated. They posted this video on a Facebook group chat and it got leaked. 
Uh, the Israeli government, of course, distanced itself, said this doesn't represent us, but we know that this is actually what's going on on a daily basis. I mean, wanton, indiscriminate, uh, targeted assassinations. Um, and so these Israeli soldiers are basically just picking randomly. He said, should I get the kid in the pink? And the other guy says, no, get the kid in the blue. And he just shoots him in the head and he goes down. And they're actually gleefully screaming, oh my God, did you see that video? Um, this is an amazing video. We love it. And they're laughing hysterically. I mean, it's a disturbing watch, but I think it really reflects the sentiment of Israeli society and kind of this increasing fascism um, that we're seeing uh, get worse and worse, Chris. Well, it's an apartheid state. Yeah. And, and it, the, it's a perfect example of the celebration of uh, the apartheid system right. and the dehumanization of those they kill. Mm -hmm. um, Let's, Mike, talk about uh, Razan Al-Najjar, who you profile in the film. Sure. Razan Al-Najjar was a young uh, female medic uh, volunteer at the Great March of Return. She was actually the first female medic to go uh, volunteer to provide life-saving medical aid to the protesters being gunned down by Israeli snipers. And, uh, in fact, was a, a, a feminist who spoke out about the right for women to do what was considered to be only a men's job. The New York Times did a profile of her a week before uh, she ended up losing her life. Um, and then, you know, a week after that glowing profile by the New York Times, uh, she was targeted directly by Israeli snipers. And she was not near the fence. She was not near the fence. Shot. Right. She was threatened. I mean, they were trying to go rescue two people that were... But they backed off. They backed off after the Israeli forces shot at them to warn them. And then so they backed off from the fence. And then after and they, they let backed me just off... Interrupt. Yes. They approached the fence with their hands Absolutely. up in their white... Medic and clearly identified medics. And, you know, the snipers are through sniper scopes, binoculars. They obviously knew they were medics. And they had threatened her in the past by shooting at her and things like that. Um, so they shot at them when they approached to try to rescue these two people who were unconscious by the fence. Um, and then after they retreated, were unconscious, rescued from tear gas, things like that, then the Israeli forces just shot her anyway. Um, and then she was killed on the spot. Uh, and this kind of led to an international outcry over the violation of human rights at the protests. And so she became a symbol in many ways uh, for the demonstrators and for people around the world who were saying this is undeniable war crimes. But also became a casebook study of Israeli propaganda. And let me just, yes. you, uh, you were in Iraq, right? Yes. In the military, in the army. Mm -hmm. And one of the things uh, that I just want to make clear, as you well know, is that when you look through a sniper scope, you can see someone's face. Right. You know exactly who it is mm -hmm. you are taking out. So then the Israeli, you talked about it earlier, Abby, um, the Israeli propaganda machine went into overdrive. And I just want to quote before I get you to respond, maybe get you to respond, Abby, uh, because the propaganda is nothing new. Mm -hmm. Golda Meir's uh, lament, this is a quote, we can never forgive the Arabs for forcing us to kill their children. That is basically been the line. Uh, and what did they do? How, talk about that, that uh, propaganda. Then, of course, the echo chamber in the New York Times and other mainstream uh, media, Thomas Friedman and others, calling it the politics of human sacrifice. Uh, Matt Friedman in the New York Times op-ed uh, talking about the terror. This is a quote, the terrorist groups that controls uh, Gazans' lives to get people killed on camera, Bibi Netanyahu's uh, what was that? Tele Telegenically dead. Telegenically That's what they want dead. To pile right, up right. dead Palestinians for their cause on TV. Right. So let's talk about the Israeli propaganda, which 
uh, I've certainly felt the heat of myself. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah, I mean, well, we've seen the human shield term be used all the way back. From well, let all me just let interject, Abby. Yeah. The people who use human shields are the Israelis. Yes. Yes. Uh, and this has been documented by mm -hmm. numerous human rights groups. So, for instance, when they raid a house on the West Bank, they force the neighbors yep. yeah. to go in before them. And we have innumerable cases of, uh, and this has happened in Gaza and other places, where they take Palestinians, they're firing through a window, but they put a Palestinian, often a child, in front of them and then fire over them. Mm -hmm. this is, these are yes. many documented cases of the Israeli military systematically using human shields. Let me just make that clear. I mean, they make the accusation unfounded. Um, but let's talk about how they essentially mounted this propaganda campaign to discredit Razan El-Najjar, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the New York Times and the uh, film that they made about her. Sure. So what happened after Razan El-Najjar was uh, gunned down, of course, after international outcry, um, instead of atoning for this, instead of apologizing on behalf of the Israeli military, they actually released a Hasbro propaganda video. Um, again, designed for American audiences. All of these are in English. You know, they're all kind of Israeli officials that look like me and Mike uh, speaking very perfect English. Um, but this video just said Razan was incited by Hamas to give up her own life. Um, medics are used as human shields. And it showed Razan um, maliciously doctored in an interview she had yeah. given to another Turkish media outlet where she says, I'm Razan al-Najjar, I'm a human shield. And it cut it off right there. In the, the video that's not maliciously doctored. Which you have in the film. Which I have in the film. She says, I'm a human shield protecting the wounded and injured from the front lines, like any combat medic would say. So the malicious doctoring of this video just shows really just how far the lengths that the Israeli government will go to malign these people in their deaths. I mean, and we, we hear from other medics who have been gunned down also that say for the first six weeks they weren't targeted. So there was actually a direct targeting order, I think, from higher up saying, okay, medics are open season now, just start killing well, them. Well, let me just, uh, there was, this is an IDF tweet that was uh, pretty quickly deleted, uh, but it, it, this is a quote uh, about the attacks, uh, the shooting of the demonstrators and the Great March of Return, quote, nothing was carried out uncontrolled. This is the Israeli Defense Forces. Everything was accurate and measured, and we know where every bullet landed. Yeah, and, and I mean, the New York Times piece that followed up with Razan. Yeah, but maybe you can talk a little bit about what they did, because yeah. this is appalling. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, well, it's really based on, you know, the New York, the New York Times did a, a propaganda piece where they, you know, interviewed some of the same people we interview in our film for about 20 seconds, and then the rest of the, this true crime documentary about Razan's death was an Israeli general explaining away uh, her death. And, they use, and this general uses the same talking points. That's all of the Israeli spokesmen. Everything they use to justify the deaths of the Grey March are two things. Is number one, that they are intentionally dying, that they are going out with the explicit intention of getting themselves shot so then they could create well, pressure on the Israel, other thing which is, is of course, like, a... just sickening, mm -hmm. is the way the Israelis decry the inhumanity right. yeah. of <laughs> the, uh, you know, Hamas sacrificing. Human sacrifices, They just, yeah. it, they, have these, they have these kind of bleeding heart right. interviews. Of course. Um, yeah, and, and then, but then the other thing is that they're all human shields. All the people that have died are human shields, even though the UN has found them to be medics, innocent civilians, disabled people in wheelchairs and things like that. But yes, we, they justify this well, by let, their let me human just interrupt shields. Because mm -hmm. it's in the film, 
there's a guy in a wheelchair who has already had his yeah. legs explain that moment. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, many people may know him from a famous image of a man with two double amputees right. from the 2014 war in Gaza throw it with a slingshot. You know, he was targeted. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. And he was targeted specifically. The Israelis knew who he was. I mean, he was considered this heroic figure for him going out in his wheelchair to the protest, and they killed him also. They shot him in the stomach and killed yes, him in exactly. his wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Of course. And they did many other documented cases of people who were in wheelchairs or on crutches were killed also. Um, and then so the way that they justify it such an egregious, undeniable war crime is, well, they are human shield. Well, what's the legal definition of a human shield? Is that you you have someone engaging you with a weapon, hiding behind a civilian so that you can't return fire without killing that civilian. But Razan Al-Ajjar, they say, was a human shield. This man in a wheelchair, they say, was a human shield. Every single one of these over 200 deaths, unarmed people, they say were human shields. But human shields for what? There is no militants at the march, not one weapon at the march. And so their entire framework, logic, justification for these war crimes exposes the real bankruptcy of their morality and, and excuse for these things. Well, but the, pro the problem is you need case. to watch a film like yours to get it because the images that are disseminated and mm. the propaganda that is effectively uh, put out by the Israel lobby in the United States does a very good job of masking that reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And they release a lot of cartoon, Hasbro, a little cartoon saying this is what Hamas brings to a protest, and then it shows Americans protesting in New York saying this is what you should bring to a protest. So again, geared toward an American audience specifically. But I think it's embarrassingly bad, and it's not sticking anymore, Chris. I think people are waking up to the reality because we see these atrocities firsthand, filmed on cell phone cameras, right. filmed by Palestinians themselves. And so the cartoons that Netanyahu's government releases, and, and when they say you're committing self-genocide, I don't think these talking points are sticking as well as they used to. Let's just end, because you end the film with this, and that's the boycott, divestment, and sanctions yeah. movement, which all three of us support strongly. Um, why? Palestinians have asked us to do so. Um, they've not only set forward this legal case for justice and incontrovertible proof of war crimes, and that's why we collaborated with a team, team of journalists in Gaza to do just that, to show uh, the reality on the ground, but also boycott divestment sanctions is the only thing that will really isolate Israel culturally, it academically, politically. It terrifies right. them. That's why they've passed 26 anti-BDS measures across the country already because they know it's working. We have Ireland passing a unanimous BDS resolution, trade unionists in Britain passing it. I mean, this is happening in NYU even. They are terrified of this because this is what brought down apartheid in South Africa. This is the only thing that can bring down Israeli apartheid, Chris. Explain what it is, Mike, the BDS movement. It's just a global movement to boycott Israel through economic means, academic means, scientific, artistic, cultural, things like that. Um, and, you know, to kind of isolate uh, in this kind of global scene to kind of put pressure on them to stop committing these war crimes like they're committing at the Great March. And to, you know, and it's, it's based on this idea, and, and there's been a lot of distortion of the BDS movement as well, it's based on the idea that if you can agree, if we can all agree that there is universally recognized human rights and laws of war and laws that uh, protesters have the right to protest and things like that, if you agree with these kind of universally accepted human rights, uh, then you can't deny, and this is what we try to show in the film, that Israel is violating them and, and the Palestinians are justified in all the ways that, that they're resisting. And so if you believe in this kind of universal code of human rights, which everyone should, the world supposedly has agreed on them, um, then Israel must be held accountable for these and forced to stop doing them. And of course, the international community, because of the power of the U.S. empire, its veto power at the U.N. Security Council, they've been able to get away with it. But if there can be this kind of organically fostered grassroots global movement to make that untenable for the U.S. empire and Israel to continue to do, then maybe we can get some uh, justice in an well, international That's scale. our job. That's right. Thank you very much. That was Abby Martin and Mike Preisner speaking about their new film, Gaza Fights for Freedom. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Mike. you, Chris. Yeah.